and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective, completely funded by George Soros, <laughs> at least per our parents. Yes. So we're very, very rich for spreading liberal propaganda. Yes. Um, of course, which in spite of that, we work, you know, like over 40 <laughs> hours a week for some reason, but whatever. Um, and it is Saturday. December 30th, 2017, and this will be, I guess, our year in review-ish episode Yeah, with some other little extras for you, and uh, boy, you thought 2016 sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Did 2017 have something Uh, for you? We were so naive, so quaint 2016, really. Yeah, it was like a quaint different time, wasn't it? Yeah, we were mad that celebrities were dying. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, how terrible. Yeah, that's just earth shattering. No, who cares? Um, So we've got, uh, we're going to start off with something a little different. Just throw a little curveball your way. We recently saw a couple movies. We don't get out to go to the movies as much as we like. (laughs) But we recently saw two movies. Uh, one of them is not getting talked about much, and one of them is getting talked about quite a bit. And I kind of want to start talking about the one we saw last night. Yes, it was so very good. It was called The Darkest Hour. It's a movie about Winston Churchill um, and World War Two, and well, it's a very specific slice of Churchill's rise to prominence and power. Yes, it, it's it's nothing about his childhood. It's nothing about him just being a member of the conservative party before he was named prime minister. It, it, it's basically the, the first couple weeks of him being prime minister. Yes. And it's really, it was really, really good and really, really fascinating. It was amazing. Um, and you tend to be critical, I think of most films. I've seen many with you. Um, and this is not one of them. This is one that you really loved. And I did too. Gary Oldman plays Churchill. Um, in maybe one of the best performances anyone's ever done ever, I think. I mean, he's just extraordinary at it. <laughs> he pulls, he's pulled off, let's see, Sid Vicious, Beethoven, <laughs> Churchill. Uh, Dracula. I, Dracula, who am I forgetting? He's just... I mean, he's just extraordinary. Yeah. I love him. But he just is Winston Churchill. He just is. And... Uh, yeah, he really embodies the part. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, they had to put a bunch of prosthetics on him too. He's not. I don't think he he did like the Christian Bale and gained. No, no, pounds. definitely not. And there was even a credit to the person who did the prosthetics in the credits. Yeah. But it doesn't look fake. No, it no, looks, it looks seamless. I mean, it's ridiculously good. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was great. It was really great, and it really, um, I think, showed the complexity of the man and the complexity of the political situation yes. he was in, which is what the part I liked. People generally, I mean, I was a history major, and I'm a big history nerd. People, especially World War II, people generally assume, oh, yeah, it was easy. The bad guys attacked the Allies, and the Allies won. There was so much more going on. Yes. The inter... I mean, it was actually pretty simple with the Axis powers, because they were dictatorships. (laughs) But as far... No, actually, there was probably some more... It was a little more complicated even with them. But especially in the United States and Britain... A lot of political maneuvering and factions and parties and trying to get everybody on the same page. And a lot of that is lost on history because it's just not as interesting or people can't grasp it all. But it it really dug in and got into all that. Yeah. And I loved that. I did, too. And about how um, 
there was really this very strong push by members of uh, some members of parliament and of the British government to negotiate and and have peace uh, talks with Hitler and Mussolini. Yeah, well, and, well, well, yeah. Chamberlain got forced out. Yes. And uh, history generally assumes, okay, Chamberlain got forced out and they brought in this hawk Churchill and he just took over and everybody rallied behind him. No, it wasn't really like that. He he, he was he had a lot of opposition. He had a lot of self-doubt. He wasn't sure what to do. He was understood how dire the situation was. I mean, the rest of the world thought, oh, Britain's going to fall in a few yeah, weeks Yeah, there's just month. no more Europe. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the, a lot of people, I think, pretty reasonably thought, like, we need to find a way out of this. And, yeah, if we have to be a, 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 a sort of a puppet government, but... You know, keep right, like the, basically, as long as they let Britain maintain their independence, we'll give back colonies and give. We'll let them have whatever. Sure. And and Churchill was just very much like, "Fuck no, we're not negotiating with fucking Hitler. I'm not doing that. I'm right. not doing it. No, no, and, and no, with, no." With Churchill understanding, whatever they called it, independence would never actually be independence. Right. And you know, and, and he ha- in the movie at least there was this sense of him just being like, "It's Hitler." Like this, what, what what are we going to, on what planet are we going to negotiate with this man and have any good faith that he's going to do anything he says he's going to do? What we're doing is surrendering. Well, my, my, uh, uh, history geek, uh, spidey senses really lit up. They even mentioned Oswald Mosley and Oswald Mosley, if you don't know, it was a big time British Nazi and, and he had some backing and political power and, you know, they said, oh, they'll probably just appoint Mosley as the prime minister. And I was like, oh, wow, you guys brought that up. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know who he was. Oh, yeah, sure. yeah. No, he's he still has followers today. He's, he's a, a literal British Nazi. Wow. And um, so it was a great movie and a really interesting cast. Um, Rachel, you probably saw a few faces that made you say, hey, I recognize that face. I just don't know where from. Uh, I'm pretty good about that, but I don't usually know their names. I just know what, what they're from, but there was really, uh, there was a lot of really good kind of, I don't know if you call them character actors. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you who some of them were, if you don't know. The King, who you might've recognized. Yes. And this is the same King from the King's Speech, right? The guy with the... No. Oh, that no, was World that... War One or something? Oh, that... no. It's, it's, a, you know, it's the same king. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was it was not the, the guy same with actor. The stutter. No, of course not. I'm okay, just saying okay. it's the same king, right? The guy with the stutter? Yeah, and he didn't stutter so much as he had that uh, British royal Elmer Fudd speech impediment, as yeah. did Halifax, which yeah. I'm glad they also nailed, because yeah. history overlooks that often when you see like the PBS... Uh, masterpiece theater renditions of these people they don't do that <laughs> because I think it's like oh it's embarrassing how can these proper people talk so funny well they did for a variety of reasons right and that's kind of ableist and shitty yeah you can still be brilliant and um powerful and have and, a goofy speech and impediment. have a speech impediment that's just part of yeah a lot of these guys talked funny Churchill kind of talked funny he did and yeah. the king talked funny and and yeah so they just nailed all this amazing history stuff which I loved uh but anyway, anyway the king was from what he was the bad guy in Rogue One. Oh. Speaking of Star Wars. Oh. The main bad guy. Okay. And I was like, ooh, I recognize that guy's face. Where is he from? Okay. And who, incidentally, was my favorite part of Rogue One. I thought he was the most interesting <laughs> character in Rogue One. Yeah. Um, he was Krennic in Rogue One. And then uh, Halifax was, I was like, I recognize that guy's face. I know him from somewhere. Well, he was 
Stannis Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yep, yep, Mm -hmm. yep, yep. So some interesting character actors, great cast, extremely well done movie. Not an action-packed thing. Nope. It's not. I mean, they covered the the escape from Dunkirk, but it's not an action movie by any means. It is all the political intrigue of the early days of Churchill's reign as prime minister. Yes, and a very personal look at the guy, not just the venerated figurehead right. of World War II. And when you listen to him talk and and listen to his speeches, which I'm sure were all true to life. Um, <clears throat> If you had someone speaking in those terms today, you would call him, you know, a hawk and a warmonger and all of these things. But you have to put it in the context of World War II and literally fighting Nazis. And he was absolutely right. He was a thousand percent correct that you sh- they should fight and they should um, do whatever they have to do to maintain the independence of Britain and help France. And, you know, they he was a hundred percent correct. Right. And and. You know, the early, some of the early days where we need to paint this rosy picture, not panic people. And then when he sort of understood the resolve of the British people, he was like, okay, we can get real and we can get honest and we can get in this fight. Um, and, and those themes are played upon. Like, you know, he sort of came from a place of privilege and he never rode the bus and he never rode the subway and he didn't talk to the common people much. Right. And so then he, he, you know, they take it a little literally. I'm not going to give away too many spoilers, but yeah. you know, he you see that character arc, and it's really interesting. And they don't pull punches with him. They show, you know, he he liked to drink. He had this sort of crude sense of humor. He was a hothead. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah, he yeah. he had plenty of self doubt. People think, oh, he had this iron resolve. Like, no, he had lots of self doubt, and he questioned himself quite a bit. But at his core, he knew what was right and, and what was wrong. Yeah. So fascinating fascinating it was movie. a great movie and, and you know it also reminded everybody like oh by the way a couple years later he got voted out of office yeah people just assume he's this legend this you know legendary figure who everybody loved and it's like well in, in reality politically you know there were things about him that he wasn't so great at and people right. didn't like uh, so but without him, I don't think the world would be the no, same. No, I, and us as liberal, you know, a lot of people look back and they 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 lump him in with like Reagans and Thatchers and these just conservative warmongers and 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 I think most liberals will tell you no, Churchill Churchill is a guy to be venerated. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So go see it. It's really good. Yeah. It's Darkest really hour. Good. Go yeah. see it. Yeah. For our next movie review, <laughs> <laughs> we saw <laughs> finally saw. Star Wars almost said The Force Awakens. The Last Jedi, the Last Jedi. awakens with the Force of the something. <laughs> oh God, it's a mess. Um, I'm a huge Star Wars guy. Yeah. I'm not a, like a Comic Con nerd. I don't dress up as as a porg and go to Comic Cons and stuff. But I just I love the original movies. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about it. Um, and I was much less excited for this movie. It's it they're, it's starting to get old. Mm-hmm. Um, tell, we'll tell everybody first about our unfortunate theater experience. So we went on oh a God. weekday matinee because we were both off from work and we thought, okay, well, well at least we'll get good seats and it'll be easy. Because every time we've been trying to go, sold it's out. sold out yeah. or we, there's like one seat in the front and one in the back and we can't sit yeah. together. It's a nightmare. So we're like, all right, it's like two o'clock on a Tuesday. No, it was 1130 in 1130 the morning. 1130 on a Tuesday. Like it's going to be nothing, right? Nope. 
I just sit in the second row <laughs> and we're sitting there and the previews are going and there's this like spotlight that's still on in the theater and it's shining directly into my eyes. Yeah. I can't really see the screen and I'm like, this is weird, but it, I'm it, sure once the movie starts, they'll turn it right. off. It's, it's not even the lights like when you walk into the theater, it's the lights for like the, the people to come in and clean Right, and yeah. but all the other lights were off. There was just two of those spotlights on one right above me and then one in the back. And then the movie started and the crawl started and the fucking light was still on. I was <laughs> couldn't like, Couldn't see the screen. So Literally I, couldn't see the no, screen. No, could not read it, couldn't see the screen, nothing. So I put on my shoes and I went out and I yelled at a guy. I didn't really yell at him, but... Uh, there was Took like, off your shoes in the theater, Rach? Yeah, I always do. <laughs> Gotta get comfy in the, the, the seats. Um... Yeah, it has those reclining seats at the theater. Yeah, you go super to. comfy. I love that theater. Um, anyway, yeah. So I went out there and I told them what how, and then there was like three other dudes out there that were like, "Yeah, that's what I'm out here for. Start it over." So I got back in, and we're like five minutes into the movie, and the lights go off, and then all of a sudden the crawl starts back up again. I've never, it, I've never. That's never no, happened to me. In never a movie before ever me either. Not the movie's fault, obviously. No, that's not why the movie was a fucking mess. <laughs> Uh, but it was, and I don't know. I don't know if we want to do spoilers because maybe people haven't seen it yet. Uh, no spoilers, I guess, because some of you haven't seen it yet. But uh, I guess we kind of spoiled it by saying it's a mess. I don't know. It's a mess. It's a it's, mess. It's trying to cram so many ideas and so many twists and so many things into so many storylines that don't need to be there and and that could have very easily just not been in it. It's really long. It feels really long. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some good parts to it. We didn't absolutely hate it. It's not like the prequels. It's just there was just somebody needs to be a better editor and a better writer. And there were stories that they could have told that I would have found much more interesting than the ones that they did. I'll get into some spoilers, a little bit of spoilers. All right, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So turn this off and tune back in 10 minutes later if you're worried about it. Uh, my issue, my main issue was there were some interesting threads that the last movie left and Ryan Johnson sort of took him, which is his prerogative, and said, "Yeah, none of those are important. They, they they don't mean anything. We're not. They're not going anywhere." Like what? Like, <laughs> like Snoke is not important and isn't anybody, and let's just kill him off. But we didn't even. That's the thing. Like, I would so much rather have seen. And Ray doesn't have some any backstory story about him. Snoke, like, what is his deal? No, it doesn't matter. He's then, just like, a dude. Finn gallivanting in some thing on a fucking dog horse. I just, <laughs> no, I don't care about that. Um, and Ray has, has literally no backstory. No. After which, all that, who are my parents? What's my story? Nothing. Well, I don't, well, well that's kind of, that was kind of the theme. The theme was sort of like, um, there, nothing matters. <laughs> and and really, there's no difference in between the, good and bad. The beginning of the movie and the end of the movie, nothing got accomplished except most of the rebellion is dead. Yeah, that's really it. No, yeah. I, I guess bless you. Oh, excuse me. Uh, no, they're literally nothing gets accomplished. Everyone's really bad at their jobs. Every <laughs> idea they have fails, doesn't work. Uh, it's it's a mess. I will say, and I will say this, I don't care who disagrees with me, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren and or Ben uh, is Ben Solo is extraordinary in the movie. I really love his yeah, he's, character. He's really good. He's a really good actor. His character comes to realize that he has a thirst for power. 
or we come to realize that he doesn't really give a shit about, about good or bad. He just Jedi's wants power. or Sith or the lore, or the history or the books. No, or the, the, any, he doesn't the, give a fuck. The dark side of the force is a conduit to power. Yes. That's all he cares about. Correct. And that part was kind of interesting, but, but like Ryan Johnson really takes this theme and is like, eh, don't worry so much about good or bad. What it doesn't really, none of it makes a difference. It's all about money. It, it was almost like a shot at Disney. <laughs> really. <laughs> and, and I think there was a lot of that that was subtle and the red letter media guys didn't even pick up on this. I think there was a lot of like anti Disney, even though they wrote him a giant check and made him really rich. There, I think there there was a lot of like Disney resentment in this movie. Like the characters kept saying, "Why? Let's just get rid of all the Jedi and Sith and all this old crap and worry about new stuff." And of course, he can't do that. No, because he has to do fan service and he has to stay within the Star Wars universe. And so I think there was well, some of that. He's making a Star Wars movie, so he should. But um, I don't know. I. I like I said, I didn't hate it. I thought there were some good parts to yeah, it. Yeah, there were some think. good parts. It looks great. It looks like a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's good action. You know, if you're just into the fanboy stuff, you'll love it. If you're into, like, more more interesting story and development of the characters, there's a little bit of that, but not enough for my taste. I agree. Yeah. And just too much wasted time. Just shit that does not need to be in the movie it, at all. It's not fair to compare the second act of a trilogy to Empire, but in Empire... Like, everything slows down and you really dive into the characters mm-hmm. and the story and right. what's happening. And that's why it's the best movie. Right. Uh, this one, they don't do enough of that. They, they, he tries. They try. But it's like, well, we have to cram in all these action scenes. And we have to cram in this and we have to cram in that. That, like, don't mean anything, though. Nothing the, nothing works. Yeah. Every plan anyone has, the entire movie, is a bad plan <laughs> that didn't work. Yeah. It's Finn. a bad plan that didn't work. Poe has bad plans that don't work. Finn has bad plans that, like, basically Finn is responsible for the demise of the rebellion. <laughs> it's, that's a little harsh. I I really think so. No, like, but it does it does it does like. keep happening where Finn and Poe, like, they're in this horrible situation, and Finn and Poe like go to the side and say, "Okay, we're gonna hatch this crazy plan, but it just might be crazy enough to work," and then it doesn't work, and that happens like three or and four General times. General Organa is like, "Fuck no, we're not doing that. That's <laughs> stupid. We're not doing it. I'm not putting the future of the whole fleet in the hands of an ex stormtrooper and some chick from the dock. No, <laughs> that's dumb. It's not gonna work." And she's fucking right. It didn't work at all, and it put everyone in danger. Uh, and then he's just like, oh, I know we need this one specific code breaker, but just any dude will work. And then he fucking well, ruins everything. I mean, then then they try to tie that up in a little bow when Yoda, for no reason, appears. Oh my god! And, and goes, god well, knows, fucking fucking things up is how you learn, so it's okay. Totally <laughs> and it's like, fine. Oh, so that's that was why we had that half hour scene of Finn riding a, a, a goat monster through the Las Vegas planet and fucking up terribly to learn that failure is, is good. Okay. I, right. Really, really it, this movie's a mess. It's Thematically, a mess. it's a mess. Yeah. The, the message is a mess. Like, the plot twist and storyline is a mess, but it's very pretty and there's a lot of action and lasers and so, you know. Also, there's no gravity in space. <laughs> okay. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not as bothered by that stuff, but yeah. Come on. Anyway. All right, we're not here to do movie reviews, but those are the two that we saw that sort of are taking over, well, one of them's taking over pop culture, and the other one is political and historical and is fucking great. Well, that's what kind of shows you what kind of nerds we are, because we're self-admitted nerds, but the Churchill biopic we loved and the Star Wars movie were lukewarm on, Mm -hmm. and I would definitely go see the Churchill movie again. Hell yeah. And I'm probably not going to watch the Star Wars movie again until it comes out, maybe on Netflix. Maybe. So, there you go. I'm bored cleaning. It'll be in the background. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> it was really it, the Churchill movie though was was great. Um, so on to politics. Yes. Okay. So 2017. <laughs> where do God. you want to start? We're we're at about the and this 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 will we can expand on these themes, but we're about a year removed from the women's march. I want to start with inauguration, yeah. Because that was a really fucking hard day. And it was January 20th of last year. And I, you know, we were obviously devastated by the election of Trump. And we mourned and we were anxiety ridden. And we still are. But it was really a deep trauma, I think, for all of us. Um, And by the time Inauguration Day came around, I was like, I didn't think it would impact me as as much as it did. and it was a really, really fucking hard day, really, really tough, and in a way that surprised me. I didn't think it would be. Um, I couldn't listen to the speech. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch any of the news. I no. just, I couldn't even, I couldn't even, I couldn't handle the the idea that this. He didn't just win an election. Like he's being sworn in as the president of the United States. And for the first time in almost a decade, Barack Obama's not my president, and he's being replaced by this person. And it was just really. Duck. I mean, it really, it was awful. And then the next day, we had the Women's March. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the energy from that came not just from the election of Trump, but I think a lot of people who may not have gone, inauguration hit a lot of people hard. And Now this, it's real. Now it's real. He's the actual president. That's fucked up. And, you know, about four million people marched all across the country. It's the biggest um, demonstration in American history. And... Uh, it was a an incredibly inspiring day for me and for all the people that I know. We all went, everybody that I know went to one somewhere. Um, and you guys can go back and listen to the podcast from last year. We talked to Sarah about her experience in D.C. where there was, you know, a half a million people. Um, but it, that was sort of the beginning of this idea that, um, look, we just lost our asses in this election, but... There's real uh, anxiety and energy and and fury and anger on the left. And mm-hmm. we're not just going to take this sitting down. We're going to try to do whatever we can to resist this horrible, horrible man. And that's what really this year has been about in a lot of ways. Um, we've been moderately successful, I would argue. Um, and the Women's March was really the first part of that. And... Um, that was the, you know, the first sign, because, you know, his inauguration was so sparsely attended. And then the next day in the same city, it's not like everyone was just gone or something. It's exact same city. It was just an overwhelming force of people that were against him. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that energy, we have the energy. And I think that's still on our side, but that that's not a slam dunk to say we're, we're just going to roll in 2018 and we're going to roll to the presidency. There's still so much more work to be done. Part of that is because of gerrymandering. Part of that is because of voter suppression, which they're trying to ramp up and make exponentially worse. Um, Part of that is the Supreme Court. Uh, We we still have a very much an uphill battle. And on top of all that, uh, we still struggle as a party to have true unity and to have coherent messages. Yes. Um, the Republicans are helping because not only does everybody hate Trump, 
but they're all getting together and pushing this legislation that you know 70 to 80 percent of the country hates no matter your political stripe yeah so i mean they're 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 in a lot of ways making it easier for us um but you know there there's still so many hurdles yes and i think you know um i was reading a couple of articles about the women's march just sort of a look back at it and it did spawn a series of marches, right? Or, or even not even marches, but just like um, like the Muslim ban happened a couple weeks later, and because it went into effect, if you remember, he signed it, and then it went into effect immediately. Mm-hmm. People were stuck uh, on airports, on airports yeah. and on airplanes, and and this massive protest rose up in a matter of hours, mm-hmm. and people flooded international airports all over the country to protest. Um, and we had the March for Science and we had the tax march. So the first couple months of, of 2017 were really um, people in the streets, people being loud, big crowds trying to prove like we're not going away. And that's uns- unsustainable, right? We can't go out into the street every week with the half a million people. That's just not sustainable. But that energy didn't just go nowhere. I would argue and others would agree with me that that energy really went into, okay, party politics. And Mm -hmm. a lot of women have decided to run for office. A lot of women won office this year. A Mm -hmm. lot of money went into the ACLU and Planned Parenthood. And, and, you know, there's a lot of energy on the left still, even if we're not in the streets, it's, it we have been successful in protesting the repeal of Obamacare, for example. That was a very long, very hard fought battle. Um, that they tried multiple times, and that's not and, over yet. No, but I think it's extraordinary how much we were able to fight it back. That it would not have turned out this way had people not been so angry and loud about it. Mm-hmm. Without the energy of the left and calling your representatives and calling your senators and going to their offices, you know, I don't, I don't think it would have gone the way that it did. And we did come up short on the tax bill because at yes. the end of the day, we we still are down fifty two to forty eight in the Senate, yeah. and we're obviously you know getting our asses handed to us in the House numbers wise. So at the end of the day. If you have an R next to your name and there's a tax reform bill, no matter how unpopular it is, you got to vote for it. Right. Um, and they did. Know, whatever excuses and bullshit and side deals you say you made, you're going to vote for it. Yeah. Uh, which Corker did and Collins did. And that shouldn't really surprise too many people, no matter what they said beforehand. Yes. So this is what's at stake now. Um, we have a disastrous tax bill that if it is not repealed quickly is going to damage the economy badly. Yes. Uh we they are still going to try to unravel Obamacare. They they pulled the first thread with getting rid of the individual mandate. Although that that is going to raise premiums, but it's not going to completely kill Obamacare. Um, and they're still going to try to completely kill it next year, maybe. Uh, McConnell's trying to stop it, but there might be too much momentum for him to completely stop it. Uh, there still could be a government shutdown at some point. Yep. We still have the Dreamers, which we're not sure what's going to happen. So uh, like. Lots of really bad things happened, too. I'm not going to say that they didn't, right? Lots of really bad things happened. In Colorado, for example, we have one of the highest numbers of deportations in the country, in mm-hmm. Denver. Yeah. Um, lots of families are being ripped apart by ICE um, and by this administration. Um, Neil Gorsuch mm-hmm. won... Um, uh, didn't win, I guess. Got confirmed. Got confirmed to the Supreme Court. 
Interestingly, um, they also use the nuclear option on that, which will fundamentally change the way that Supreme Court justices are elected forever in our country. Mm-hmm. A thing that we sort of forget about, it's not just about Gorsuch, it's about the politicize, politicization of Supreme Court nominees yeah, that, that has half, never been historically how we do it. Half of Americans and, don't even know who Merrick Garland is anymore. Right. Yeah. But the way that they change the Senate rules about how you vote for um confirming a Supreme Court justice was fundamentally changed to allow Gorsuch to be confirmed. And that is unchangeable now. Like that's that's over and it will change the way that we confirm Supreme Court justices forever and it will make it a much more politicized process. And that is very, very bad for our democracy, in my opinion. I think so. But at the same time, we better take advantage of it. We better. We better, we better have learned by now that if we are trying to when we have power, the Democratic Party, if we are trying to govern by a set of norms and that traditions no and in the best interest of democracy, we're not on a level playing field. Correct. Um, so we, we better take advantage while we have power. We don't right now, but if we get power. We will. <laughs> These things go in cycles. I mean, unless we go full on dictatorship and Kobach decrees that young people and black people can no longer vote. I mean, you know, sure, if, if, if we go full on Biff Tannen's America here in the next couple of years, then all bets are off anyway. But if this thing goes like it usually goes in cycles and we get back the White House and at least one chamber of Congress, um, yeah, we, we, we can't do – we can't say that the other side is going to understand reason and we can bargain and – and yeah, they will cry and scream about norms and like I think everybody's kind of just tuned out by now of, of that crap anyway. Like none of it mattered when Obama tried to do it, right? Where did it get us? Oh, look how unreasonable the Republicans are being. Oh, they actually shut down the government. Okay, great. We got fucking killed in the next midterms and then we lost the White House. So what good did it do to stand on the moral high ground of norms? And principles. And principles. Yeah. And tradition. And fairness. But what, what, how, how did it help us? It didn't. No. No. In fact, you, you can even argue that it worked in reverse. I don't know. I I struggle with that because... I, I, do, I do to some extent, too. I'm, I'm just not, trying to be pragmatic. I'm not trying to be a Republican right now. I'm not trying to burn the whole world down because, like... I value our institutions and I value our... Um, history and our norms and I know that they're being destroyed right now and I'm not saying that we should hold ourselves to some unreasonable standard and lose but I do think that we have to hold ourselves to some kind of standard in behavior <laughs> yeah. and okay let, let me let me put it this way though Rachel because Obama was big on this and certainly Democrats in Congress were um, during the right before and during Obama's second term the Democrats took a stance that, well, you know what? People want the government to function like it's supposed to function and at least have the air of bipartisanship. So if we, if we act and try to govern in that fashion, people will understand and they will respect it and will be rewarded politically for it. And Republicans said, fuck that. Our way or the highway, we're going to burn it all down. Yep. And which message won? I understand what you're saying. I think that it's incredibly short-sighted to burn down the institutions for a quick political win. And then when we come out of the ashes and we won this one time, 
it destroys our institutions and the things that protect our democracy if we start behaving this way. Like someone has to protect these things or we're just gonna, it's just gonna be utter chaos. And in 20 years, there will be no more United States government that is recognizable. <laughs> It'll, it won't exist if we, if we are so short-sighted that we will burn down these institutions that have held up our democracy for centuries because we want this win. I don't think that's smart. I but don't that, think that's the long game. That, I don't. Okay, but let, okay, fine. Let's say we. I'm not saying we have to be bipartisan. I'm not. I know that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things like, just change the Senate rules when you're in power so that everything you want happens. Like they did that, and it was really stupid because when we get power back, then they then what? Are then you they argue, have nothing. Are you arguing that we should? I mean that that's the that's my problem, right? They're going to do the same shit again. We'll we'll try to play within. We'll try to play ball and play within the rules, and you know, not go either go back to the way the Senate is supposed to function, uh, and then they just won't play ball. We won't get any legislation through. The media will pick up on the Democrats can't govern thing, and then we'll lose again, and they'll crush us more. I mean, that that's my that's my issue. That's my problem. I, I don't know how to. In the well, new think about it this way. Republicans world. have not had an opportunity to govern in a decade or more. Mm-hmm. So the American people don't really know what that looks like. They should. And now they're watching what it looks like, and it's a fucking disaster. It's a giant... Like, we got a lot of shit for a lot of years because we were in charge. And we were up against this very obstructionist party who wouldn't let us do fucking anything. So then they sweep, they take control of everything, and they have no fucking idea what they're doing. They do not know how to govern. Granted. So the American people look at that and they go, oh. Well, it wasn't really that the Democrats were feckless. It was really the Republicans are garbage. Like, they don't, they, they're just the party of no. And when they get in power, they don't really have ideas, and the ideas they have we don't really like. Right. So let the process be the process. Instead of burning everything down, let people watch them govern. And then judge whether they, and you know what, fuck it. If the American people think this is awesome and the tax bill's great and fuck Obamacare and whatever, if that's ultimately what they want, fuck them. Let them have it. But they don't. And that's my point, though, is that if we come into power and we try to play ball, they're going to stymie. We're not going to get the tax bill reversed. We're not going to save Obamacare. We're not going to turn back. We're not going to get comprehensive immigration. They'll just do the same uh, they'll be the party of no again. We won't get anything through. The Americans will, the American public who doesn't pay enough attention to the stuff you're talking about is just going to say, well, the Democrats can't accomplish anything. Our base will get depressed and stay home and we'll lose everything again. And then what's the point? So what are you suggesting? <laughs> I'm suggesting that we may have no choice but to play the zero sum game that the Republicans have created. We may have no choice. And what does that do for us? How does that help us? Well, it, it reverses a lot of bad policy. It, I think we should do that. I think we should. It probably enacts a lot of good policy. Uh, it gets hopefully some very decent people confirmed to legislative positions and, you know, hopefully another <laughs> good Supreme Court justice or two to tip the balance when some of these other folks retire. Um, it, I think it does a lot. And the Republicans will scream and howl about how, you know, traditions are being upended and we're not playing fair and we're being tyrannical. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, if, if we, re- yeah, but that worked before that worked when we rammed Obamacare through people's throats, we fucking lost after that. We lost because they, their messaging was better. Yes. Agreed. It doesn't matter what we do. They're going to have a message and it's going to fucking work. 
Well, because they're disciplined about their message, yeah. no matter what it is. It doesn't matter what we do. I suggest we do not burn down the institutions that protect our democracy. But they're already burned down, Rachel. Well, we need to get them the fuck back then. <sighs> okay. I can't, I can't live in a world where it's just like, well, there are no rules in the Senate and there are no rules in the House and Rachel, fuck everything. Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. It's not going to work. But the makeup of the Republicans in Congress is not getting better. All the reasonable ones are retiring. All the semi-reasonable ones so are retiring. So that's exactly why we need the protections that the Constitution affords us. We have to have that structure so that when these fucking insane people take power, there's things that restrain their ability to do things. We need restraints so that we, when the insane people get elected to office, they can't just run amok. Like when Trump, it shocks him to find that there are restraints on his power as mm-hmm. president. It shocks him and it makes him very angry. Right. And I am very grateful that those things exist. Mm-hmm. I am so grateful that we have those restraints on executive authority and power. Of course. I need that to be the same case in the legislature because... After the Tea Party people got elected, they thought they were just going to come in and do all this crazy shit, and they weren't able to do any of it. And that's because those rules existed. Right. If we don't have those rules, then it's really rolling the dice with who gets elected and what they're able to do. Granted, but I think at the same time, um, I, I don't know how we get anything accomplished if we're trying to play the bar- bipartisan norms game with I don't care about bipartisanship or norms in that sense. Well, I, care I think it's about, all related, Rachel. I, I don't. I think it's about the rules of the Senate and the rules of the House and and the process that exists, and they are dismantling it currently. Okay. Well, and I think true. we should stop them from doing that. Yes, but the only way we can play within <laughs> the bounds of rules and norms to get anything accomplished is if we have massive majorities. Well, we need to win, first of all. Well, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We need to win. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But... I, I worry, you know, how midterms are. I know we've got the energy right now, but our base is very fickle. The other side's base will always show up. I know. But think about it. Think about the special elections, which are even harder, right? Yeah, we're doing really well. We never this. show up to those fucking things. Like, mm-hmm. Democrats do not vote in special elections, which mm-hmm. is why we always lose. Um, if we're showing up in that kind of quantity for a special election for a House rep in Virginia, like, I, I think, or I guess it's a Senate seat, but, you know, like, I think we have a good chance if we keep on these people, we keep on ourselves and, like, keep the energy going to sweep in 2018. I do. Right. But, again, it's not like, oh, I'm telling you everybody's going to go vote so you don't have to. Like, you have to fucking, everybody has to fucking vote. You have to vote and canvas and phone bank and donate and uh-huh. all the things. Uh-huh. Can't stress this enough. And that's their only way of protecting ourselves and our our loved ones and all of that is you get a majority back in both the House and the Senate and then we just tell Donald Trump to go fuck himself and we don't let him do anything at all. Be just as obstructionist as they were because his policies are dangerous and unconstitutional. And we have the courts on our side at least, not the Supreme Court, but... The courts have been really good this year as well in terms of... For the most part. ...of holding his... Not um, perfect, but... ...agenda back. Yeah. Uh... But that's, I mean, that's our only hope. He's going to be the president for who knows how much longer um, with the Mueller investigation and everything. But um, while he's the president, our really our only hope is governors, mayors. Um, and, yeah, and it could be a big, big year for governorships, too. Yeah. Governors and mayors are and attorney generals, state attorney generals. Those are the races I really want you guys to start watching and paying attention to and picking up. Uh, support for local um, 
for your state attorney general. And why that is so important is that state attorneys general can sue the federal government on behalf of the state and on behalf of the state citizens when policies are enacted that violate the constitutional rights of those state citizens. Things like uh, if they try to come after our pot, for example, in Colorado. Which Sessions would um, love to do. Uh, ICE and policies mm-hmm. about immigrants and the Dreamers and um, all all kinds of things. And state attorneys general are incredibly important because they can sue and they can hold up his agenda in courts, and they they really are a front line. Um, yeah. So pay attention to that and and find somebody who's really good on criminal justice reform, uh, really good on. Immigrant rights, really good on on things that you that you care about. Um, the good news for us is there's a shit ton of new Democratic candidates, new blood, especially women, who are all about this stuff. Yes, we are backing uh, candidate Phil Weiser here. Um, I am at least. Um, he's extraordinary. He was uh, used to be the regent or something at um, uh, CU School mm-hmm. of Law. He's brilliant. He. Um, his big sort of claim to fame, I guess, is that he kind of coined the term or, or explained the idea of net neutrality and why it's so important. Yes. Um, and that's something that he's really passionate about and something that he's really going to go after. He's raising a shitload of money. In case you missed it, FCC and the Republicans are coming after net neutrality. Yep. Not a done deal. The papers are all, we're screaming that net neutrality's dead. It's, it's not even close to over. There's huge legal battles coming, but we need people to yell and scream about right, it. Right, right. Right. And, and elect the proper people because there's states that can get can get around it. You can sue the federal government on behalf mm-hmm. of states. It's, mm-hmm. There's so much more that needs to happen, but we need we need, active we need the right people actively people. involved in the fight. Yes, exactly. And you really like I'm telling you, mayor, governor, state attorney general. And then, of course, vote in the midterms and, and support your local reps and your local, um, you know, find your candidates. But those are three races that I would look to in each state. Um for real power and real ability to protect ourselves from this administration. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think is important. Um, Yeah. So I guess after the break, we'll get into more of, yeah, we'll go more kind of down the list. We'll talk about the recent uh, quote interview that the New York times did with Trump. That's getting the New York times is getting a lot of flack for and getting very defensive about, and I'll, We'll explain why, for the most part, they're wrong. Without just my knee-jerk New York Times sucks reaction, <laughs> I will explain why I think they're wrong. Right. Uh, and, yeah, we'll talk about sort of what's to come and what to expect and what to do and, you know. Yeah. All this stuff. Okay. So, anything else for, for the break? No. All right. Stick around. We'll be right back.
and welcome back to Ever Testimony. We're going to do our year in review wrap up, but first I just really, really quickly wanted to talk about the recent New York Times quote unquote interview with Donald Trump. Right. The failing New York Times. <laughs> failing New York Times, except when they let him rant Fake without news. questioning him. And mm-hmm. So tell me the backstory. He's in Mar-a-Lago right now, right? Oh yeah. Quote working hard. Cause uh-huh. that was his big thing. I'm going to get to work right away. Yes. He's just been golfing in Mar-a-Lago like the, and call, did he call them out of nowhere? What is the, what hap- How did this Well, there, there's some questions around that. They're saying like his staff didn't know and they were in a panic and they didn't know what he was going to say. And he said his usual unhinged crap, um, that I'll get to in a moment. But basically, it was Michael Schmidt of the New York Times, who is a decent reporter. I think he's hemmed in by his uh, editors, frankly. Okay. But um, he basically just let Trump rant about crap and brag about crap. And there was no challenging or questioning or anything like that. And a lot of people have rushed to Michael Schmidt and the New York Times defense saying, why does everybody assume that's necessarily the job to, you know, put the, the heat on and, you know, why... How dare you question the the tactics of a reporter if they have access? And, and it's the literal job of a reporter is to try to get to the truth, right? And, and report it. Right. And some of the rationalization or excuses are, well, you saw unhinged he was just by letting him talk, and that was the theme, just to let him talk and let him give enough rope to hang himself. And it's like, no, I don't buy that. Uh, <laughs> here's here's my problem, right? What, first of all, he says a bunch of stuff that's just very easily verifiably false and you don't challenge it whatsoever. I think that is very lazy, crappy journalism. Also, when he says stuff that you could very easily follow up and you don't, like for instance, when the Russia investigation came up, he, he bowed up this whole refrain like, oh, the actual collusion was with Hillary Clinton and the Democrats. And I've been ranting and screaming about this to no end. It's a very simple follow-up to say, Okay, then you're acknowledging that the Russians did interfere with the election or tried to interfere with your election, and that's an issue that we should, you know, address because Trump and the Republicans are styming all those efforts to right. to protect our democracy and our voting from Russian interference, saying there was no collusion, there was no, and then he turns around when it's he thinks it's convenient, says, oh, there was collusion, but it was Democrats, and literally nobody follows up and says, so you're agreeing there was Russian collusion then, and that collusion is bad, and we should prevent the Russians from interfering in our... And we should investigate it, and we should investigate Maybe you're disagreeing on who was colluding with whom, but you're acknowledging that there definitely was collusion. Right, and and nobody ever... Shouldn't we investigate that? It's very bad. Nobody asks that very simple, obvious follow-up question in light of the fact that Trump and the Republicans ad nauseum are screaming that there was no collusion or interference and it doesn't matter. Come on, guys. Know, this is very simple journalism here. And maybe you don't have to be Tim Russert and have a whole list of contradictions ready to address, which is what Tim Russert did very well. So-and-so candidate or president or senator says blah, blah, blah. And he says, really? Last month you said blah, 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 which is the opposite. And then they have to dance and squirm or make up some excuse or lie. And they refuse to do that with Trump. Right. So they refuse to do that, obviously, or anything in this article. My next issue is this. I would make a case that maybe there isn't this as big a responsibility, and you and you could argue this, that if Trump was saying, we packed this task, tax bill and it's so great and it's going to be so great and everybody loves it, if it wasn't polling the literal opposite of that, 
And when the Russian investigation is brought up and he says it's a hoax and a fraud and there shouldn't be an investigation, and 70 to 30 or 80 to 20, the American public says, yes, there absolutely should – Mueller needs to be let, allowed to do his investigation. And you don't challenge him on that. You're not doing your job as a journalist. Right. This is not to say, how dare you, sir, you are a liar and a terrible person. Ooh, I hate you, Mr. Trump. You, you say, actually, poll after poll shows that the American public – by and large, believes Robert Mueller should be able to do his investigation unfettered or the tax bill is very unpopular. Make him expand on his answer at least a little bit. Do right. something. They make did him, none of that. Make him look at what the reality is. Because if you're just reporting on the rantings of an insane person who's known to be a liar and you have demonstrably untrue things he's just told you, at least make him face what the reality is. They're in telling the readers what the reality is even if he does a dance even if he denies it even if he whatever it's your job as a journalist to say well frankly sir that's not true and here's what's actually true because what you're doing then is you're demonstrating to the readers what is actually true because when you don't challenge him and you don't say that's not true what what are we to presume yeah oh okay well that must be the case because the president said it and nobody said it wasn't true it's your job as a journalist to say well that's not true here's the facts can you please address these facts? Oh, you can even dress it up as, you know, there's there's strong push from the other side or, or it has been said that actually this is the case and make him at least address the contradiction. Yes. <laughs> at least address the contradiction. Yes. And, so, and at least report what is true. Yeah. Don't just let it sit there and everybody goes, well, that's not true, right? Maybe it is. I don't know. No, address. Like, well, that was going to be that was going to be my next point. That okay, if you don't want to challenge Trump at all in the interview or make him explain things that are obviously contradictory to reality or things that are obviously contradictory in the minds of the majority of Americans, then you run a companion piece with some degree of fact checking in reality. Said yes. uh, this was Trump's interview. Here is how it doesn't square with a lot of the facts. But they didn't do that. No, so, who did it? Oh, the Washington Post. Yes. The Washington Post <laughs> saw it, read it, and went, all right, well, if they're not going to fucking fact check their own goddamn story, we're going to do it. Right. And they found that in 30 minutes, he told 24 lies. So if, if, there, was a, if there was a better example of why I patronize <laughs> the Washington Post and not the New York Times anymore, that's it in a nutshell. It's and as that's, black and white as it gets. <laughs> again, that is not to say that the New York Times doesn't do any good reporting anymore. No. They still do occasionally. Yes. But their whole focus... Quite I, a bit of it, but they're, they have it, these glaring... It's so glaring, skewed and screwed up, and yeah. they don't admit when they screw up, and I just... I, I can't with them anymore. I, know. I just can't. Yeah. And so I get it. Nick Confessori and the other people on the New York Times payroll and his buddies come to his defense of Michael Schmidt and say, how, you know, why do you question their motives to leave them alone? They can do journalism however they want. No, the piece sucked. Right. You can do journalism however you fucking want because the First Amendment exists. It does not mean, once again, for the cheap seats that we don't get to criticize you when you do a shitty job. Right. You can do it however you want, but I get to say you did a shitty job when you did a shitty job. And I'm saying it was a shitty job. It was a worthless piece of crap article that had just swung and missed on – or didn't even swing, didn't even attempt any basic journalistic merit. Right. Right. They just let the jackass bray nonstop. Yes. I mean, it's not like we're just criticizing the New York Times and they're the only ones that do this. It's We criticize everyone who does it. Sure. Fox News does it all the time. Yeah. But they're a joke. Right. And I hold the New York Times to a higher standard than that because they are trying to have some journalistic integrity and or at least trying to say that they uh, have them. Right. 
And when they fail to do their job as journalists, uh, we get to say, you did a shitty job. Right. And if you want to be Fox News, go for it. But then you don't get to be the New York Times. You don't get to have this. You do get to make a lot of money. So you get a lot of clicks. So there you go. I don't know. Yeah. And I get it. You know, I get that, like, that's a pretty good scoop. The president called me from Mar-a-Lago and his staff doesn't even know. And I don't want him to get off the phone. But that's not that's not your job. Right. Because that was the other argument. Well, you know, if we said this, he might walk out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He might. And you report that. Yeah. So he throws a temper tantrum and he he hangs up. So say that. Donald Trump said the moon is made out of green cheese. And I said. You want to tell him, no, it's not true, because what if he hangs up? Well, in the alternate reality, you say, and then we challenged him and said, actually, there's no scientific basis for that, Mr. President. And then he hung up. And then you print that. And then you let people, quote, draw their own conclusions. (laughs) And that is journalism. Yes. So I don't know what to tell you, New York Times. All, you're getting all the criticism you deserve. If a bunch of people are clicking on the article and you're getting a lot of ad revenue, great, good for you. You go for it. I encourage everybody, if they still have a uh, subscription, to cancel it. Yes, and, and pick one up for the Post, please. And pick one up for the Washington Post if you don't have it already. Yeah, which you should. And when all else fails, just follow Sarah Burris on Raw Story. Also she'll, that. She'll condense it all for you nicely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and yes. she watches Bill Maher, so. Yes. For some reason. Oh, well, it's, it's her job. <laughs> and CNN, poor thing. Right, we're going to see our friend Sarah tomorrow. We are. We're having a New Year's Eve. Well, we're not having a New Year's Eve party. We're going to a New Year's Eve party that she and her lovely friend Lindsay, who's been on the podcast before, um, are hosting. And we're very excited I don't know why that. we're sharing this with everybody. but I don't know. <laughs> and I think it's a secret. We're not giving out the location Facebook. or something. It's on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very excited to see her again. And... Uh, We'll She'll be on the podcast a bunch more. But there might be even be a, a regular thing with Rachel and Sarah. Uh, keep your keep your antenna up for a new potential newish podcast. Oh yeah. What do you think I was talking about? I, I'm not going to comment. On that. <laughs> there might be a new podcast <laughs> involving Rachel and Sarah coming down. The line, yes, so. yes. We're 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 in our spare time. Yeah. Which we don't have it. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, okay, so 2017, a lot of people have called the year of the woman. And I would argue that that is, in some cases, very true. Um, from the Women's March that we talked about to uh, all these women running and yeah. winning, um, uh women of color coming out and winning, helping the Democratic Party win massive elections and being leaders in, in the party and in um, movements, the Me Too thing. Um, I think the election of Donald Trump pissed a lot of ladies off. And, uh, and I, for one, am awestruck by the, the bravery and fortitude and... Uh, leadership that I think uh, American women have shown this year. Um, I do think that white ladies, we still have a fucking reckoning. Um, I think when we talk about women, we need to be more intersectional and inclusive. Um, but I also don't want to shit all over the accomplishments of women this year. So that that's my only note there. What else happened in 2017, Trev? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, Tom hey. Petty died. Yeah. That's yeah, it. he did. Yeah. No, um, boy, where did we start? I thought you had the list. Well, the funny thing is, this in one year, right, 
Trump fired Comey this year in like March. Yeah, no, this it was like year. in like April or March. Yeah, March or yeah, April, right? Yeah. Of this year, he fired Comey. Like that's how much has happened in this administration in the last just what, like nine months. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's an insane amount. And people are so, people are so impatient. I work with lawyers and let me tell you, it takes them forever to do everything. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, why isn't he already in jail? It's like, look, yeah. look, this yeah. is an exhaustive investigation. And then they it's write the pieces like, Trump is, he's surviving, he's still no, around. He's, he's, they're they're the, doing the, an investigation The Trump voters time. in the diner still support him. It's so, not, it's exhausting. Even people at work come up to me and like, what's with this Mueller thing? Is he going to do anything or not? And I'm like, he is literally doing things right now. Shut up. It's, you just have to be patient. It not, doesn't take three weeks to do something of this magnitude. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So James Comey got fired. Uh, Jeff Sessions recused himself. Sort of. And we get Mueller as a result of that, who is doing an exhaustive investigation that will hopefully take down uh, the highest echelons of the Trump administration, including, I hope, Trump and Pence and Sessions um, and the rest of the, the whole gaggle. I'm not getting my hopes up for that, but what I'm really hoping that at the very least what, what um, Mueller does is, is highlights the horrible, gross financial yes. shenanigans. Mob, 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 mob. Well, mob. not just that, but the emoluments crap that yeah. Trump gets away with, yeah. that he's personally using the presidency to enrich his own brand yes. of crap. Yes. That we've, Himself and his family. We've basically yes. just thrown up our hands and said, oh, okay, whatever. I don't know what we can do about that. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. there's a lot of things we can do about it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, at least yeah. shine a light and and say, you know, make shame Congress into doing something, perhaps. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And there was this big push the last two weeks for uh, Fox News and Republicans in Congress and Trump to uh, try to what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Undermine. Yeah, undermine Mueller because there was this guy who didn't like Trump that Mueller reassigned. He sent some text messages about how awful Trump is to somebody. And he also doesn't like Hillary or Bernie or anything. This guy was just a malcontent, it seems like. But in any event, and then, oh, well, that means the whole FBI is compromised and the whole investigation is compromised. And it seems like it's dying down a little bit. And everybody yeah. thought, okay, well, Trump's going to fire Mueller like tomorrow. And that hasn't happened. So no. somebody in his may have New talked York some Times sense interview, into him. He said, I think Mueller will be fair in his investigation, yeah, which that, I think is interesting. It, it, well, yes and no. It's Trump. So he could, you know, in five minutes, he'll be on a tear on Twitter about how Mueller needs to be fired and he's terrible, or Fox News will run some scoop of their FBI things that, oh, there was another guy who sent a text message that was critical of Trump. I mean, you know how these things work. Well, it's so ridiculous. Like, these people are FBI agents, certainly. Um, that does not preclude them from having political attitudes or opinions. These are still American citizens who have the right to vote. I don't... How do you find... How do you fill an investigation full of nonpartisan people in government? I don't know how. Well, if you're admitting that that's not possible, then I guess what you're suggesting is that the investigation should only be run by pro-Trump FBI. Well, yeah, it just makes no sense. It just it if if what he did was say something critical of Trump and of Hillary, by the way, um, but he's doing his investigation in you know due course and, and exhaustively and and ethically. Um, I'm. 
I don't know what well, that, that you just, want from so, I don't know. It, it sort of highlights sense. the difference, right? Like during the whole Benghazi investigation or they were when they investigated Eric Holder for the gun running operation and it came out that one of the lead investigators on that didn't like Obama or didn't like Hillary, we'd kind of just say, oh shit, we might get railroaded here. We wouldn't say the whole investigation is undermined and this person doesn't have a right to their opinion. Right. <laughs> you right. Know, we might try to level the playing field somehow, but we wouldn't like say, okay, we need to purge the whole Department of Justice now or the whole no. FBI because this one guy has political opinions. I mean, that's that just so asinine. That it doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Like, oh, well, yeah, well, I'm sure there's quite a few FBI people who don't like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. Well, I don't we think know, that means We know there is gonna... because the FBI office was leaking shit to Rudy Giuliani, who was leaking it to Fox News. So we, right, we know that's the case already. I, I don't think that means that the FBI that these people are doing unethical things in their investigation. Of course not. I don't believe that that, that those two things are necessarily. Well, the guy, the guy was, no, once it was revealed that he had this personal conflict, Mueller sent him to the basement and Correct. got him off the case. So yes. you're literally arguing nothing. Right. You're trying to say this Mueller is so compromised when the only thing you have as evidence is that Mueller got rid of the guy who showed obvious bias. Yes. Where's right. the logic? Right. I don't, I don't, I, it's, there isn't any. See, I, can't I follow but it. I don't think any of that went anywhere. I think they floated that trial balloon up and the public was still like, no, no. let Mueller do his job. No, he seems I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not buying your yeah. crap. Yeah. Not, not to say they're going to stop doing that because they need to keep the base. They need to keep the base fire up, fired up and engaged and not bail. And they do, I do think that, um, it was opportunistic to use that particular person in that case, which is just politics, but sure. I also think that it's a little more nefarious than that and that they are trying to build this this base of like maybe if something really bad comes out we've sort of undermined of him course, in this way course, that yeah. we can be like see what did we tell you they're we laying, can't trust they're him. laying the groundwork let's yeah, say yeah. 2 months from now and I think it's going to be way longer than that 2 months from now Mueller has this whole litany of suggestions and charges and Kushner goes to jail and and all this crap they say, well, we can't we can't believe any of this because we know that the Remember? whole thing was compromised yeah. because that guy sent the text messages. Right. You know, and they'll yeah. manufacture more crap. They're not just yeah. going to sit on that. No, no, no. It'll yeah. be a constant thing. Yeah. Because they need to provide protection for the administration because they want to continue to do shitty garbage things like the tax bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as Trump's their guy, you know, yeah. it's fine. And at this point, they've tied themselves themselves to him to such a degree that. If he goes down, you know, it's going to be egg on all their faces. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure that every Republican in Congress is tied to this man. And Roy Moore. Because, and Roy Moore. Speaking because of Roy period. Moore, <laughs> Roy Moore, this didn't get a lot of airtime because actual garbage Republicans in Alabama did the right thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, I think it was the Secretary of State. Yeah. Uh, Roy Moore legally challenged the election. Right. Has and, never, still has not conceded. Yeah. And, and said... Well, yeah. basically what he said, well, he sort of conceded the other day, but w- earlier this week, what he said was, I'm following this lawsuit and the whole election was fraudulent basically because a lot of black people voted. <laughs> <laughs> they voted in larger numbers than they usually vote, which means fraud. And as, as evidence of this, he literally cited YouTube conspiracy videos and, and like Reddit comments, like liter- wow. literally, literally, literally. Wow. Like that's, that's all he had. And even the Alabama Republican gross Alabama secretary of state, who's totally into voter suppression and all kinds of other garbage crap was like, this is nonsense. There's not, there's nothing here. 
I'm not wasting my time. Go away, Roy Moore. Yeah. And then a judge <laughs> threw out his, uh, his case. Yeah. Judge said there's, there's no merit here whatsoever. None whatsoever. We're a Republican judge in bright red glowing Alabama where they hate immigrants and mm-hmm. love voter suppression and hate gay people and all the things said, no, Roy Moore, this is, this is a joke and this is crap. Uh, yeah. People like Kegro and Greg were a little bit worried. I think more Greg was worried that Mitch McConnell might actually use this as an opportunity and say, well, let's let this play out before we seat Doug Jones. But he didn't he didn't jump in. No, they don't like Roy Moore. No, no, no. They're, I think enough. <laughs> I think enough Republicans are smart enough to know they kind of dodged a bullet. Mm-hmm. And yes, they're going to be down a seat and certain things will be tougher. But it would yeah. be way worse to have Roy Moore them having to hang out with Roy Moore in the Senate and all the and crap admitting he that brings their party to the table. is the party of Roy yes. Moore. They can't. Yeah. They don't want that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. Even my dad texted me, and he's like, "All right, you might want to be sitting down for this." But, but I don't like Roy. Moore. I'm really glad Roy Moore lost. He's a piece of shit, and I don't like him. And da da da. And I just didn't say anything because we had just had a conversation like the night before about and how... And he, he said all the accusers were liars. Yeah. So did he change his mind? I didn't ask. I'm not okay. doing it. I'm not doing it. Because I, if he still thinks they're all liars, then Roy Moore's a swell guy. No. he. I'm not doing it. I don't care. I don't. I I can't. <laughs> There's some some I can have and sometimes I'm just like, no. I, I think he no. just hates admitting when you're right. Yeah, and, and he knew. And he, and he, and he I hates was right, admitting when a gross garbage Republican gets in the news, like a Todd Akin or Roy Moore, and you yeah. batter him with that, and he can't just let roll over. So he has to yell about George Soros. Yeah, uh, and I, I mean, I brought up some pretty good things when we were having that conversation that I think he probably sat on. Uh, Hopefully, that's how he works, you know. Yes, the, the moment it's defensive, over it. and yeah, then he yeah. thinks about what I said sometimes, and it sinks in a little bit. Well, and, you know, just it, my own personal sexual harassment story, and like right. he, the guy that he tried to date you. me when I was fourteen, and like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and he had he had no he had nothing to say other than like, but it's you, and I'm like, yes, but <laughs> I'm not a weird anomaly in the world of right, women. Right. Ask any woman, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway. He was like, he's a garbage person. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, I'm not having this conversation with you. Right. Like, good job. Irvin. So anyway, Roy Moore is gone, but not forgotten. He'll probably write a book. Maybe he'll appear on Fox News, a radio show. I, he, I think he's, I think Roy Moore at this point is just so addicted to the spotlight. Yeah. That, that's the biggest thing. Not that he, he was necessarily just dying to be in the U.S. Senate. Obviously, he wanted to be in the U.S. Senate. But right. I just think that, you know, I, I must have the spotlight on me. I crave it. I need to keep my name in the news. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yes. And we were not going to let Republicans forget. They were more than happy to, you know, after a few minutes of saying, no, we don't really want him. And then the base roaring back and them capitulating. Yep. You still owe Roy Moore. You still own Roy Moore. Absolutely. He's yes. still a part of your party and a part of who you are. And yes. you guys need, you, you have quite the reckoning, Republicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's going to be more because Bannon's not going away. No. He, he's still going to prop up a bunch of Roy Moore. He's not Moore winning types. much though. He's really not. He's he's uh, he's taking his own little piece of the spotlight recently, which well, I find interesting. He's starting to realize the headwinds, and he's at the very least saying, "Eh, we better at least get rid of like the actual card carrying Nazis." Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like maybe the maybe the like the literal swastika wearing Nazis. Maybe we could purge a few of them. Right. Like uh, this guy Nealon, 
in Wisconsin who's challenging uh, Paul Ryan. Um, you know, he was a big Breitbart uh, Bannon guy. And lately he's come out with like literal Nazi tweets, like Jews pretend to be white. And so they're undermining the white race and wow. things like that. I mean, wow. he said, a, he said a million gross things before, but it was like some of that stuff that was the line. And then Breitbart said, Oh, we're, we're disowning this guy now. Yeah. Which, okay, fine. I, I can find I, 10 million other racist, okay. horrible things he said before this. Yeah. I mean, here in Colorado, we have Tom Tancredo who we lovingly, um, hatefully referred to as Crazy Train Tancredo because he is a lunatic. He is a literal crazy person. He and was kind of. He's always been very fringe in Colorado politics. Yes. Um, he ran for president in he did. 2000. And he's run for governor a handful of times. He's at it again. He's running for governor. Right um, now, he's he's kind of the leading GOP candidate, isn't he? And he is. For governor. He met Steve. Well, that's hard to say right now. But yes, uh, there was a recent yeah, poll. Yeah, the field is a little weird and muddled here, especially is. on the Republican side. Yeah, You it got is. celebrities and football and players. And Brockler just dropped to uh, run for uh, AG. Well, that's good Phil. news, right? Because you were yeah, worried about I him. Yeah, I was worried about him. But he's doing pretty garbage on fundraising. So that's, I think, in part why. I think he'll be a challenge for, um, for Phil Weiser. Yeah. <clears throat> just because he is such a respected prosecutor in such high profile cases and he's, and he's not a crazy person. Yeah. Um, but Phil Weiser is, um, just raising money. Like, I don't even know anyway. Um, but yeah, Tom Tancredo met with Steve Bannon who encouraged him to run for governor and he is now doing that. He put out the, <laughs> his Merry Christmas message and it was, uh, this little video that he put on Facebook and it's him talking in the background in his Christmas voice saying really horrible things about how um, back when he was a kid, you know, you Merry, could say Christmas, Merry Christmas and, and nobody took We haven't gotten to the war to on Christmas yet. And no one ever thought that was a bad thing. And I got a BB gun. And back in the day, you could carry you could BB shoot your guns own without whatever. <laughs> He's like, and we played cowboys and Indians. Imagine that. You couldn't get away with that nowadays, but we sure had fun. And so I'm he's, like, he's going the whole. Oh, we should just play Holocaust sometime. <laughs> That's great. No, I'll reject be the, political correctness thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cowboys and Indians. Yes. Would you like to be one of the people who slaughtered an entire uh, civilization of natives. So or? he's going all in, but I, yeah. I know I know you're worried about that. But I don't think Tancredo could win a race here for dog catcher. I, I really don't. And I think that yes, yeah, Steve Bannon's ego is still allowing him to throw his name behind people, and still thinking that helps. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the same it, guy. It helps that in was Republican primaries, to, maybe. It was going to go speak before he decided to run for governor. This is why Bannon picked him up. There was going to be a white supremacist. Um, conference in yes. Colorado Springs. Yes. And a bunch of us got really mad about that and it got canceled. But Tom Tancredo was slated to speak at this conference and he was very upset when it got canceled, even though it was literally about white supremacy. Um, and that's when Steve Bannon was like, oh, he's my guy and asked yeah. him to run and he's running. So when is the primary? It's in the spring? Uh, that's the a great question. gubernatorial primary? I think it's in June. Um, it's very little time to between, well, I mean, I guess that's how it is. Yeah. Um, okay, we're going to be watching that very interestingly. Yeah, very closely. Because, I mean, Bob Bupre was a horrible, terrible garbage person who barely lost. Yep. Because all the Democrats sat on their hands and stayed home in 2014. That's yep. how we also got Cory Gardner. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm worried about the governor's race in this state. I'm not going to lie. Not if it's Tancredo. No, not if it's Tancredo. 
No, but it's, you know, the guy that I think is going to win the primary is Jared Polis. He's currently a representative. Um, uh, Boulder. From Boulder. Yeah. Uh, Boulder, Fort Collins, Longmont. Um, the most liberal bastion of the state, um, part of the state for sure. He is a gay man and he is incredibly pro-pot. And he's from Boulder, which if you live in Colorado, um, unless you live in Boulder, no one else likes Boulder. Like, it's like, <laughs> Even us. No, I hate Boulder. Um, super liberal, but like just such a white liberalism that's just so frustrating. California elite liberal. Yes. Um, Snooty, nose in the air liberal. Mm-hmm. As non-intersectional as you can get mm-hmm. liberal. Yeah. Um, now that, that, really that, just that, a bunch of white people sucking their own dicks about how they it, don't drive very much. Right. It is a bit of a stereotype. There are some wonderful people in Boulder. Don't get us wrong. But there's a lot of garbage. Yeah, I just don't like... That give our whole movement a bad name and that we can't stand personally. Yes. I'm sorry. Jared Polis is a good guy. He's a good guy. He's got sound principles. He is just... You know, Colorado's a purple state and I don't know how we win the rural parts of the state with the gay pot guy from Boulder. Well, we don't, but I don't don't think we win it any better with generic Democrat. But we do. That's the thing about Colorado. We've won the last many governor's races by picking centrist Democratic candidates because they can pick up. fairly centrist. Pick is centrist. Bill Ritter was centrist. Like we, we pick up some of those rural parts, some of those independence that's the big thing in Colorado 30% yeah. of our state is registered unaffiliated but it, but it, but if voters. there's a, if there's a time to get a guy like Polis elected it's now right when we have the energy yes and that his potential opponent might be a psycho like Tancredo yes. who won't be able to help himself yes. but get up there and be horribly homophobic against a literal LGBT person Correct. on a debate stage and his big thing has always been he's always been sort of a one issue candidate his big thing has always immigration. been immigration. Yeah. Hates the Mexicans, hates yeah. the brown people. They're ruining everything. And so, we have a very large Hispanic population in the state of Colorado. Yeah, we have to run up a we'd have to run up a big margin, but Tancredo could help us do that in yeah. the cities. Exactly. Like, you know, get a, a Pueblo. He'll win Denver, Springs. he'll win Boulder, he'll win, you know, all yeah. those places. It's the Pueblos and the Springs and the places like that that I worry a little bit more about, and then the rural farm areas that that I worry about. But anyway, we're going to fight like hell for whoever the Democratic candidate is. Um, I think it'll be Polis. Well, Polis is already trying to work that angle. He's talking about conservation. He's talking about yes. water rights. He's talking yes. about... Dreamers, though. Yeah, tax. But yeah, but I, I've been reading his mailers. Yeah. And he's, he's trying to send those feelers right to peel off some of that rural vote. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. He does. He's got good people behind him he's and he's got more money, money than God. But he's, he really <laughs> lacks experience. And he's not. Well, he centrist. doesn't lack experience. He's been in the House of Representatives for years. Okay, fair enough. But he is too. He's very not too. He's just very liberal for the state. But, but if there's a time, it's and now. I'd love it. I'd love to have him as the governor. And I would. I would, I, w- I would love to have a Polis versus Tancredo. I mean, that is like archetype. Yes. Democrat versus yes. archetype modern Republican. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's just it's light and the darkness. Yes. <laughs> it, does, yes. it really is. It is. It's it's Rick Santorum, you know, versus Elizabeth Warren. Versus Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Yep. So Rick Santorum's not quite racist enough. So. Oh, he's a little racist. Not as racist he's as Tom Pickett. Not, ra- not, not as Tom. Ken- he's Rick Santorum would never go speak to a white supremacist conference. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, babe. I don't know. 
Uh, I'm telling you. Uh, Tom Tancredo is a straight white Sandstorm's more racist than you think. Yes, like, but he, he is... He, you forget, because it just is anti-LGBT bona fides, but uh, he's he's pretty racist, too. I'm telling you. He's pretty I racist. I hear you. I'm telling you, Tom Tancredo is a white Oh, no, he's not more racist than Tom Tancredo. I'll give you that, okay? <laughs> yeah. They're garbage people on d- different ends of the spectrum. But the Venn diagrams, you know, they they, they do. Yeah, you, of course, yeah. Yeah. So it's look like forward. Rick Santorum and, is all about Black Lives Matter. That's so, for sure. So when he loses, then he'll be on the 2020 Santorum Tancredo ticket for the Republican presidential nomination. Uh, that'll be great. That'll be great. Okay. So what else happened in 2017? Oh, um, what didn't happen in 2017? <laughs> um, what else? I mean, so many things, right? The Obamacare appeal sort of failed. Mm-hmm. Tax went through. That's all recent. There's there's a bunch of stuff we're missing, though. There's the Muslim ban, which is now sort of in limbo. It got mm-hmm. partially approved and then a partially not approved, and then there was another stay, and then some of it can Supreme be implemented. Supreme Court allowed it to be implemented, but there's still a lot of uh, court cases that are uh, in the works. The and ACLU it, is fighting it pretty hard. Right. And, and he, he changed it around, right? Like, the original Muslim ban was just like... Blanket. Straight unconstitutional, like no, yeah. and so they Way changed it broad. so it includes North Korea and Venezuela, so it's not just Muslim countries. Um, and then it doesn't apply to people who already had received green cards. Right. It didn't apply to people who, um, yeah, like the, there was a bunch of stuff they changed in the uh, version two point of the Muslim ban that allowed the courts to say, well, it's not really discrimination on the basis of religion because. North Korea and Venezuela, and then, you know, it's... it's you know. Yeah, yeah, they had to say it's just shitty. It's not necessarily racist, it's just shitty. Right. Or, or yeah, discriminatory. But it's there's just... nothing constitutionally that's... I mean, there still kind of is. It's, 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 it's still a lot of gray area. Yeah, and the ACLU is working hard to make that case, and I yeah. don't know where it will go, but in the, for now, um, it particularly hurts refugees... Um, which is a stain on all of us yes. for doing that, for yes. allowing that to, to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, if you want to talk about international politics, Jesus Christ. So many things happened. Um, Macron won in France. Yes. Against the basically Trump. Marie Le Pen. Version of, yeah, French Trump. was a horrible woman. Won pretty easily. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, he's uh, very much a centrist as well. He's not, you know, he's not like some... Super ultra-liberal. No, no. But he's not Marie Le Pen, for sure. No. Who's just like an ultra-nationalist psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada is still Canada. our lovely hat. <laughs> they've they've uh, done a lot of things for refugees. Uh, Justin Trudeau just made a uh, public apology for... Um, to LGBT people on behalf of the of the Canadian government um, for their all you know similar history to treating gay people mm-hmm. terribly back in the day. Yeah. Um. Uh. You know, there's crisis and war, North Korea stuff. I mean, there's just it's just internationally. I think um, we talk a lot about domestic politics on this podcast. And particularly, I think the media focuses on it, too. But there's a lot of stuff going on with nukes. Get get ready in 2018 because Trump 
and the Republicans led by Lindsey Graham are going to push for a war with North Korea. Yes. They're going to push for a war with Iran. Yes. And oh, remember, you know, Hillary was the warmonger and uh-huh. Trump isn't. So get ready for that. That's, yeah. That is inevitable. That is going to happen. I'm not going to say that war is going to happen, but they are going to push for a war. Yes. Yes. How much of a buffer Nikki Haley or Rex Everything Tillerson could be, I don't know. I don't know how much longer he'll last anyway. Yeah, it's, it's, he always seems like he's on the way out, or Trump floats that he's on the way out, and then says, no, 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 he's not. He and wrote some op-ed piece this week that was like, uh, laid out his version of diplomacy for the the administration, which is basically the opposite of everything yeah, Trump's it, ever it, said. It, it sounded semi-sane. <laughs> yeah, like it, it was like, here's what we need to do, and here's what my plan is. And It was like, just well, basically you, standard State Department stuff. Yeah, but you're not, that's not your president's plan. No. That's not his plan at all. Did no. you talk to him about this? And they were like, no. Probably not. But then no. they were like, the media was like, well, the White House must have seen it before it was published. I don't uh, think it got to the president directly. <laughs> Uh, but it had to be cleared that's by the, the that's State That's the way Department. the executive branch I mean, should, should function, Oh, my God. Right? It's so fucking Right hand has no idea what the left hand is doing, and North Korea has to guess. Yes. And, like, ask rich business people, so, like, what's going on? And what they're like, I don't fucking know. Like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. This is unprecedented for us. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. So, foreign policy-wise... Um, it's a disaster. It's a really scary, 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 scary time. And, and Lindsey Graham sees an end because there's, there's is this power vacuum, and nobody knows what they're doing. So de facto, as far as uh, foreign policy is concerned, Lindsey Graham probably has way more power, which is scary because he is a crazy warmonger. Yes. I mean, there are two generals that are running the White House. Yeah. And that is not necessarily a good thing for being a, a not wanting to go to war. Um, I think it's a good thing for not wanting to have nuclear bombs dropped on anyone because mm-hmm. I think they understand the magnitude of that in a way that our president yeah I think to. McMaster uh, Kelly's kind of a garbage person but you know I think both of these men I are, think they endure what they endure they know they have a completely incompetent psychotic president but they yes. know they're a buffer between him and God knows what yeah and they do understand the magnitude of war and yes. the magnitude of nukes yes. in a way that he has no comprehension of no and I think that that is um can provide some solace. At the end of the day, though, they're not elected president. They're not. He is the president. No, and, and it's scary to think in history, if you know your history mm-hmm. during, you know, Kennedy, right. Kennedy's term, if LeMay and, you know, Maxwell Taylor were running the country, then we very well probably would have had World War Three. So this is not the ideal way to go. I, the world has changed in such a way where as right here, right now, it does actually bizarrely bring some comfort that we basically have two generals running the foreign policy arm of our country. So yeah. I, I, it's weird times, people. It's very strange times. It's very strange times. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like I always say, when I'm a state's rights advocate and I'm happy <laughs> that generals are running the country, it's a weird, that's a weird year. <laughs> so not, it's yeah. not normal. <laughs> It's not normal. But, you know, just to kind of uh, bring home the themes that we always talk about, you know, get involved in your local politics. It matters more than you think. It's going to have a bigger impact than you might imagine. And in a world of Trump where there's not a lot that you can do to him to change things on this macro level, when you get into state and local politics, there is things that you can do. There are changes that you can directly make and affect and those changes 
on a state level can in some way help insulate you and 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 protect you and yours from some of the the darker things the Trump administration would like to do. So I'd encourage you to get involved as I always do in you know if it's city council, run for something, back mm-hmm. somebody you love, knock some doors, knock on some doors for somebody some that you care about, make some phone calls, help fundraise. Um, you know these things matter, and especially on the the micro level that is state and local politics, every single vote counts, as we have seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, one or two votes here or there. Yeah, look, look at the Virginia the legislature. Yeah, we're literally having to decide over one vote. Literally. Yeah, one vote. One vote. Right. And that vote could be your vote. That vote could be somebody whose door you knock on. And you tell them about your candidate, and you let them know how important it is. And mm-hmm. you find that one issue to connect with them on. And, you know, I know it's uncomfortable to knock on doors, but it is the lifeblood how you reach of campaigns. And it makes a difference. I promise you it does. And anybody who's ever lost an election... We'll tell you, we should have knocked on more doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's never anybody who lost and says, you know, knocking on all those doors was a waste, was a of, time, waste of time. Or no. we, we obviously knocked on enough doors. That wasn't the problem. Nope. Well, some candidates will tell you that, but their staffers <laughs> won't. <laughs> and the party won't. Um, well, we just, we just, we were semi-involved in this local race here. And what it came down to was one guy knocked doors and one guy didn't. Right. And the guy who knocked doors won. Now, there yes. were a lot of other mitigating factors, but... I'm sure that didn't help, and it was a pretty big margin. Yes, he won handily. Yeah. Yes. Um, Two crappy candidates, by the way. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) One knocked doors, one didn't. Yes. The guy who knocked doors won handily. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's how it is. Yeah. And, you know, like the campaign that we ran, uh, Daphna's campaign back in the day, before her campaign, which really won by 800 votes, the prior year... The garbage person, Joanne Winholtz, only won by like 106 votes. Yeah. The woman who thinks that Planned Parenthood being shot up is just the fault of Planned Parenthood. Right. Won in that very swingy district by 106 votes. So it matters and it really does make a difference. And I can tell you being involved in local politics is rewarding and you can make a difference and you fucking run for something. I mean, seriously, it's, you know, you, you do have to work hard. It doesn't pay a lot. But you can make a, a massive difference. If you're um, one of these uh, Bernie dead-enders who just likes to scream about how much the Democratic Party sucks, find a candidate you like and run them. work. Yeah, work. run them. Run all the progressive liberal candidates you can find. Yeah. Get out there and run your candidates and do your best. And I'll give you the same advice I'll give anybody. If you believe in that person, then you have to be willing to work hard and knock on doors and make phone calls and raise money and have a message and you can absolutely win. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's now that we've covered literally everything that happened in 2017. Nothing Good job. Nothing else happened. <laughs> we for sure didn't miss anything. Any closing thoughts? Oh, you know, 2018 is going to be an interesting year. And it's ours to lose politically. Um, I know what you and I will be doing. Um, I know that we'll be working hard. and I And I hope that everybody can make some small impact to make sure that we don't lose the energy, we don't lose the momentum, and we can can start undoing some of the damage that was done this year. Well, we can't afford to. Yeah. Right? And, you know, mid, these midterms, yes, they are a referendum on Trump. So if you're just waiting for 2020 so you can vote against Donald Trump, no. Every time you go and you vote for a not Republican, it's a referendum on Trump. Yes. Because And Trump taunts you with it all the time. And he says... 
Republicans are winning all the things and Democrats are terrible and this is all me, 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 me. So think of it that way. Yeah. Yes, every time you... You want to punch him in the face? Punch him in the ego because mm-hmm. that's where it hurts him the most. Oh, yeah. He hates it so much when he loses. And when he puts himself out there and says, everybody loves me and I'm the, all Republicans won on the coattails of me. Well, right. good. Let's make them all lose on the coattails of him. Exactly. And that's going to hurt him more than any nasty tweet you send at him or, uh, you know, a shitty email or don't worry about that. Go vote not Republican. Let them all lose. Show the Republican Party that A, that shit's not going to fly anymore. And B, give a little punch to Donald Trump's ego because it will hurt him and it, in the most delicious way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's going to wrap it up for us and for 2017. We'll talk to you in the new year. I've been Travis. I've been Rachel. Happy New Year. Email us, irreverenttestimony at gmail.com, at irreverentduo on Twitter. We still do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash irreverenttestimony. And, um, yeah, be safe, have fun, stay active, stay tuned, stay involved, and we'll see you next year. Sure. Shut up.